Everyone has a story, and I believe that sharing your story has the power to connect people. I'm a working mom, wife, and seeker, and nothing lights me up and brings me more joy than having meaningful conversations. And one of the things I love to talk about is psychedelics. In December 2021, I experienced my first psychedelic journey with psilocybin. It was one of the most profound events in my life, and it opened me up to a deeper spiritual growth and helped me to heal. And now, talking to those who've experienced the therapeutic magic of psychedelics and hearing about their personal journey has become my passion. Mindful Trip is a safe space to have conversations that demystify and destigmatize the use of plant medicines. Conversations that allow us to have deeper connections with ourselves and others. I hope that sharing these intimate, funny, and inspiring stories helps you find the answers you're looking for. A wise friend said to me, all you can do is follow the threads and see where it takes you. So I hope you'll join me in unraveling the threads, staying open, and trusting the journey. This is Mindful Trip. Mindful Trip content and the views, thoughts, and opinions of the host, guests, and contributors is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional legal advice or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Consult with the medical provider or mental health care professional about your health-related questions. Mindful Trip does not encourage illegal activity, including but not limited to the illegal sale, purchase, or use of controlled substances. Hi, and thanks for joining me. Today, you get to hear from my friend Kimberly, who I call a plant whisperer. She opens up about healing her childhood trauma with psychedelics and how she ended up in a psilocybin journey with her mother. Kimberly Lissy is the founder of High House, a community for healing and integration in New York City. She's a Reiki master, as well as an eternal student of all things Ayurveda, energy work, healing, and spirituality and she finds her own healing process is a never-ending well of inspiration and motivation. Your support means a lot, so please subscribe, download, and share with friends and family. I'd also love to hear what resonates for you, so send me your comments. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, Min. How are you? Good. How are you? Fabulous. So happy to see you. It's been a while. I cannot wait to get into this conversation. There's so much to talk about. I can't wait to hear your story. Yeah, I'm so, so thrilled to be here. Thank you for asking me. No, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. So let's get started. I'm really excited to hear about your psychedelic journeys. So let's start off. Tell me what I need to know about you to understand why you were led to do a psychedelic journey? So at this point in my life, I've done a good handful of psychedelic journeys and mine, I can honestly say, have been very, very impactful each and every time. I really treat these things as medicine. For me, they really are medicine. They really are things that I use in meditation. And I've got a meditation practice that is pretty much daily and it's very deep. And these are sort of my quantum leaps using the plants. And I only started in August of 2021. Mm. 
And for me, it's been like really just like quantum leaps of beautiful realizations and growth. And so prior to that, I'd never tried anything. And I was in my late 30s at that point. I was 37 years old and just had never even dabbled because my childhood and kind of growing up, it was all just like super, super off limits. I was raised very conservatively and my best friend in the world, um, even in her childhood, had just kind of been exposed to different ways, to plants, different ways of thinking. And so I just remember going to her and saying like, Things in my life were just getting really, really, really compressed. And I was like, I just need a little bit of mind expansion. Like, I didn't even know what I was asking for. I did. My higher self knew what I was asking for. But at the time, I didn't really know what I was asking for. And so my initial experience was with her. We were in Iceland together, sort of a completely like isolated location. And that was my first ever experience. I just remember kind of opening my eyes after the initial meditation with that medicine and just everything was different. I was where I was supposed to be and I kind of could see. So that's how it started. And since then, I've just had some really, really impactful journeys. So medicine that you did initially in Iceland. The first medicine ever was MDMA. And explain explain to people who may be listening or watching who may not be familiar with what MDMA is. Yeah. So MDMA is, it's a psychedelic medicine. I am very, very connected to plants and I work specifically now with a lot of plant-based medicines. MDMA is synthetic. It's synthesized. It's not directly plant-based, but it's known to be like a real heart opener. And that was what I needed at the time. I remember my best friend who led me through this had meditated on me and my situation and said that she saw sort of a brick wall with kind of light coming through it. And what was needed to break through that wall was heart heart opening. And MDMA was very strong for me and just broke right through that wall. And I just can remember coming out of the initial meditation with her and seeing her differently, seeing myself differently, and just like seeing past lives, realizing kind of what the rest of my journey was going to be. And so MDMA kind of broke it open for me. I have not used that particular medicine much since. It really has been sort of plant-based, psilocybin, ayahuasca, but that was the opener for sure. And I'm so, so grateful for that. Did you feel like the MDMA was almost like a nice, gentle introduction into using psychedelic medicine for your healing journey? It did not feel gentle. (laughs) We were literally in the middle of nowhere in Iceland and like spent the entire next day like integrating. It was pouring rain. It was a major jolt to my system, but it was what I needed. Well, you said before that your life at the time before you did the MDMA journey, that it felt compressed. Can you share a little bit more about what was actually going on in your life that made you feel that way and that led you towards trying MDMA for the first time? Yeah. You know, I felt compressed is an interesting word. It's too gentle. I felt like my back was up against the wall for the first time in my life. It was August, 2021. It was a year and a half into the pandemic. The Six weeks before the pandemic started, I had a newborn. I gave birth. It was me and my son. We were living alone. I was postpartum. It was during the pandemic, super isolated. And there were some situations in my life, specific with my son's father, that were just like not working out the way I kind of thought they were going to be. And I just felt in my life up till then, I'd felt like anything that came my way, I kind of worked my way out of. I could use my smarts. I could use my brain. But this was so emotional and heart-based and just out of my control that I was like, okay, the walls just started closing in around me. And I was like, I don't know what to do. 
when I asked my friend for this expansion, I knew what to do because your body always knows. But, you know, I didn't know what I was asking for. So that was what was going on. It was, it was the hardest time in my life easily. I agree. Your body does always know. And your body also just holds on to everything, right? It holds on to every emotion, every trauma. It keeps the score. Like that book that is so popular and that everyone should just go read. It's true. So after this MDMA experience, what was your next step? Did you start researching other types of psychedelics that you wanted to explore or did you figure out a way or find somebody to help you potentially integrate what came up and what you learned during that specific journey? Yeah. So, I mean, having my best friend around was the greatest thing ever because she was well-versed in most of these medicines. And I had her as a resource, which was great because I could ask all my questions and she could help me with integration. And I could be like, oh my God, this is happening. What is happening? What is this? And she knew and she could help me. But really, for the most part, ever since then, these plants have come to me. And it was almost like that first ceremony unlocked something in me that knew it unlocked my intuition. It unlocked, like, even in the weeks after that first journey, my ability to kind of see and to kind of know what I needed in this realm was just like popped off. So I never really had to think like, oh, maybe I'll try this or maybe I'll try that. They just came to me. And so pretty much immediately after psilocybin started coming in um, and I started using that, I tried sort of socially. I mean, that did not work for me. Every single time I tried to have a little bit of like a micro or a little bit of like psilocybin, the plant would say, leave here, go home. Mm, And then I would have like a journey or a meditation on my own because the plants, it's really about messages and it's really about like the internal work that I had to do at the time. So they would come into me and then it was about, let me see, four months later when ayahuasca came in. Um, And it was very clear. It was so clear that it wasn't like, okay, it's time to try ayahuasca. It was like, this is where you're going to try it, who you're going to do it with, who is going to facilitate it. It was so specific. And that's really how a lot of my experiences happen. So did you feel like the veil is, was just completely lifted? And for anybody who's listening or watching, especially in spirituality, really believe that there's a very thin veil that kind of separates this third dimension, this kind of human experience from the other higher dimensions. And when you do psychedelics, a lot of the times that veil in a sense will be very thin or completely lifted. And so you do feel very connected to your higher self, God, angels, guides. So did you feel you were getting downloads of intuition and messages Yeah, I was getting downloads immediately, shockingly. I was kind of like, whoa, like what what is this information? Can I trust it? Because that's really what it is, right? I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually. I don't know that the veil ever fully lifts, at least not for me, because if it does, then it's very difficult to learn when you can kind of see it all, right? So a lot of times with these journeys and with psychedelics, the veil fully lifts when you're in it and you're like, oh, I can see it all, but it comes back down. Because we have to live our lives and we have to learn. Right. We don't do that if we can see it all. But certainly it got very thin. Got to a place where I think it was always meant to for me. I felt like I could access sort of all of the things that I had learned in other lives and like 
other versions of myself and ancestors and guides were right there with me and I could feel them. It was really more about trusting the downloads because like they were coming in like really, really hard and, and fast. What was your experience like when you did the psilocybin journey for the first time? Visually, what did you see? What did you feel in your body? Was it a challenging experience? Was it a mystical, a magical one or a combination of both? What were the types of messages that you got? So really quickly, my first ever experience with psilocybin was still in Iceland. It was a couple of days later <laughs> and we were hiking an active volcano oh and I had never had it before, but I tried just a tiny little bit. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I remember like seeing some, like lava that was kind of like hardened and being like, oh, the lava is blue. And my friends being like, because it wasn't blue. I was seeing blue, whatever it may have been. It was really funny. It was just heightened. Everything was shinier. My first like real meditative experience with psilocybin, it's very physical for me. Most plant medicine is very somatic for me. I can feel the buildup in my body before the messages come. So I can always kind of tell by what I'm physically feeling, what the experience is going to be. I tried it like a little bit socially in a very conscious group. I'm not the kind of person who's going to go out and like go kind of out on the town. I had gone to a friend's house. We did a cacao ceremony and there was micro dosing involved. And once we started with the psilocybin, I had to leave and I went home and yeah, it kind of like hit me really hard. And I tried to like lay down and go to sleep, which with the plants, you don't really want to do, right? You kind of want to be attentive. You want to listen. So I was laying down in my bedroom and like, I could see the BQE from my bedroom. And I was literally getting messages about like, who is in that car, what they're thinking, what they're doing, who's in that ambulance, where they're going. It was like a mass reign of messages about all kinds of stuff in my life. So it came in a lot and it was very, very difficult to decipher. It was scary. It was a lot of information. And I was kind of like, oof, I'm not really sure, but but I took it slow and I tried to kind of decipher it. And over the course of the next few weeks, everything became clear as it does. What I realized with that journey was I was getting to know the plant. Mm. The plant was introducing itself to me and the plant was basically saying, this is what I can do for you, but we have to work together, mm. right? It was me getting to understand how this relationship is going to be. In that journey, what the plant was conveying to me was not all true. Mm. That's a really important thing about these journeys, right? I don't like to use the word tests, but it's an understanding of your own intuition and the downloads that come through and how to work with them and how the plants work. Mm. So it's not always like, here's the information and this is true and go act on it. But, you know, these are our allies. We work together. So that was really like one of my first introductions to this plant. And now I work so well with this plant and I love working with this plant. But in that first one, it was so overwhelming. There was so much information. The plant was teaching me how to work with it, Mm. essentially. That's so interesting because you were just getting complete downloads. I mean, when I did my psilocybin journey, the full first journey in 2021, I didn't really get downloads. I went in with the intention of really healing a lot of emotional wounds from my childhood and from different relationships and things that have happened. And that was what came up for me was more just really intense grief and sadness, a lot of crying. It's just so interesting to hear somebody else's experience on psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms, and that you were just getting these downloads more so than the mushroom kind of intuitively bringing up things from your past or from childhood or anything else that you needed to kind of examine and maybe potentially release and heal from. 
I have had those experiences with psilocybin too. This plant brings up for me things that need to come to the forefront that are maybe in my subconscious. It was just that that initial one was kind of a setup of how our relationship was going to be kind of a a little bit of a warning. You kind of run this show and your intentions are going to lead us. So I'm so thankful for that initial experience because it really set the stage for some really, really heavy, deep things that came up from my childhood and that came up for healing. What were some of the other subsequent psilocybin journeys that you went on? Yeah. So one of the most pivotal and epic journeys that I've ever had was actually this time last year. It was during eclipse season last year and it was with my mother and it was guided. And it was not something that I would have ever in a million years imagined would have happened. So anybody out there who's saying, oh yeah, my mom, dad, brother, sister would never do that with me. If my mother can do it with me, believe me, it's possible. For me, it's a testament to how intelligent the universe is and these plants are because the things that we need, if we are really committed to our healing, they're going to happen for us. We're not going to hit roadblocks where we can't get there. And this is such a testament to that. I grew up in an extremely conservative religion. I grew up a Jehovah's Witness. It was very, very difficult for me because I knew who I was when I was young, but in order to please my parents and to be the person that I thought I had to be, I had to do a lot of things that I knew I wasn't as a human being of what I would be in the future. So there was a lot of dissociation for me. There was a moment in my childhood where I split off from who I was because the pressure to be who I had to be in this religion, it was so painful and it was so difficult that My true self said, I can't do this. I can't be here. And after that, I spent hours and hours and hours of my day sleeping, which was diagnosed as seasonal affective disorder. It was diagnosed as different disorders where you would be depressed or really tired. But I know now that it was a a mass dissociation of my body and my spirit and my mind. Wow. So my mother is still in this religion, and it's something that is her anchor for her trauma from her childhood. So I respect it in a lot of ways because we all hold on to the things that we need to keep ourselves safe. So what happened was in the beginning of 2022, my mother got COVID for the first time. And I remember she was okay for like a week. And then after the first week, she ended up in the hospital with chest pain. And so I get in a taxi to go and visit her in the hospital, and I immediately get a download that her chest pain is not directly related to COVID, but it's related to the passing of my father, and he had passed away a year and a half before that. She had so much grief. And so immediately I knew that the pain was heartbreak. It was physical heartbreak. And I had done so much work with the plants and also in my own practice on the grief over my father and dealing with that. I felt so bad because I walked into the hospital and I apologized to her and I said, mom, I'm so sorry that I've done this work with myself, with my grief, and I haven't asked you if I can help with yours. Mm -hmm. And so I offered her a meditation, a joint meditation with me. And I offered her a straight meditation I offered her a meditation with cacao, another heart-opening, beautiful, heart-opening medicine. And then I offered her one with psilocybin. I never thought in a million years she would choose a psilocybin, but what she said was, I want to do whatever you did to make the changes that you have in your life. And I was like, huh? (laughs) And so 
within two weeks, we had set it up and we were guided by someone that I trust implicitly. And it was in my home and it was with sound. It was like an overnight meditation. What I had expected was that it was really going to unlock her grief. I didn't even think about myself. I didn't even know how I was going to do it. At first I was like, am I even going to take medicine? Because I was so concerned about how she would be. But we did a lot of prep work on intention. We did a lot of prep work on kind of what to expect. And so we went into the meditation and it was really hard for me to let go in the beginning because I was so concerned about how she would do. And for the first hour, we were in our own realms. We weren't kind of conversing or anything. And I was seeing a lot of animals, a lot of animal spirits were coming up for me. And for me, it felt like in hindsight support. But I was kind of not fully into it because I was so concerned with her. And she was in a full state of grief. She was, I believe, with my father, which is very difficult for her because she does not believe in afterlife. Mm. So for her to be in the presence of him and to be talking to him, I think may have been very disorienting for her. She released a lot, a lot of grief. Again, I didn't think that this was going to be a super pivotal. I mean, obviously I thought it was going to be a a pivotal journey for us because I'm doing this with my mother. But in terms of my own healing, I really wasn't thinking about it. But we got to the point probably in the midpoint of the ceremony and we started talking about my childhood and growing up in the religion. And so my mother still at that point was holding on to the hope that I would still come back to the religion. She was kind of saying like, I know you love God. I know you love Jehovah. And so we started conversing and we were kind of being guided by our guide. And we started talking about my baptism. I was baptized into that religion when I was 12 years old. And when you're baptized into that religion, you have to answer a set of questions with the elders. And I did not remember this process at all. I don't remember getting baptized. It's a memory that I don't have. I was so dissociated and it was so traumatic for me that I don't remember this. And so my mom started to talk about the baptism and how she knew, she could see by the look on my face that I didn't want to do it. And we started talking about the questions, these baptismal questions. And I started feeling in my body this eruption that was about to happen. And I started getting really anxiety-ridden. And I started kind of grabbing at my mom and saying, what were the questions? What were the baptismal questions? Like, do you remember them? I was getting like I'm getting now. (laughs) The nervous system was really sort of disoriented. And our guide was kind of guiding us when she could see what was going on. My mom was kind of like, well, I mean, I think they were this and I think they were that. And I had a massive physical release of something that had been buried inside of me since I was 12 years old because it was those questions where my dissociation happened, my split off of my personality, my split off of my being. Those questions were something that I did not believe in so much to the core of my being, but had to answer and respond mostly in the affirmative. Um, That was the exact moment. And I didn't remember any of it. And without that memory this healing and this sort of purging of what had been cemented in my body would never have happened. It ended up being a situation where I had to physically get up and I let out some noises and some sounds that I didn't even know existed in my body. And I'm so grateful for the guide that day who was one of my best friends who knew and and was trauma-informed and was able to help me get that out. But I mean, that journey in general was something that was so 
pivotal for me. And I never knew it was there. I never knew that it was something that I had to release. Oh my God. That is an incredible journey. Incredible. First, the fact that you did it with your mother and that she was open to doing it, especially with the background that you just shared from where she came from, that she would be open to doing any sort of psychedelic medicine. Yeah, I agree. And I still, to this day, can't believe that she did it. But I realize how strong spirit is and the fact that when these things have to happen and we need to get to a place in our healing journey, they will happen. The things that you can't imagine will happen will happen for you if you take your journey seriously. There's no way that you're going to fully surrender to this path of healing and the path's going to be like, well, can't do that. So sorry. (laughs) You can't remember that memory. So I guess we can't heal it. No, it will come up. Yeah. And a lot of times it's the plants that help us. I agree. I, I wholeheartedly believe that it will call to you when your soul is ready and that you will be guided towards the correct person to help you, to guide you through the experience, the specific plant medicine that is going to call to you, that will help you. I firmly believe that. Mm -hmm. So then after you and your mom both came out of the psilocybin journey, my God, there must've been so much to unpack. I mean, what was the conversation between you two after you both kind of came down from this? So directly after it, my mom kind of went to bed and I hung out a little bit with my guide and we kind of just came down. I got into bed with my mom and we had a whole conversation about her childhood and her traumas. And I could clearly see the reasons why she grasped so much onto this religion because it was something that gave her the structure that she never had. Whereas that structure for me was soul crushing. And so we talked about that a lot. The thing about it is I really wanted to kind of tread lightly because with integration, it's a lot about what comes to you in the coming weeks. So if she had questions, I certainly would answer. And my journey from there was just the depths I was able to get to. When you have an experience like that, you can push forward or you can snap way farther back. And so with my mother... I think that it's something that she's still integrating and trying to understand, but she grasped so much tighter onto what she knew and what was safe. For me, it was great because she could understand a little bit more about my world and what had happened to me in my healing journey because I hadn't been able to talk to her about it that much. You know, I was kind of trying to figure out what was going on. So for her to see it firsthand was interesting. She didn't fully understand what I went through. She saw my physical release and I explained it to her, but she didn't fully understand. And that's okay because people will kind of understand what they're meant to when they're meant to. So in her process, I think her fully understanding what I released and what I was processing was not something that she was ready for. Because with parents, a lot of times there might be guilt for the traumas that their children are going through. And it's not our parents' fault, right? Like the things that we go through in our childhood are things that we are meant to, on a karmic level, process in our lives. Absolutely. Whether or not you want to believe it, I'm a big believer that we have a blueprint before we incarnate into this very specific lifetime. Because I do believe in reincarnation. 
and that you choose your parents, you choose very specific journeys and challenges in life because you want to experience different types of emotions and be able to learn different lessons and be able to grow spiritually. So I wholeheartedly believe that. So what did you do the next few days after you completed this psychedelic journey with your mother? Did you start to immediately integrate it? What was your integration process like? Yeah, you know, for me, my body takes a a while to catch up. For me, like the downloads and sort of that spiritual plane and the third eye, it's always like there and ready to go. But my body is like, let's slow down a second. I need to process this and I don't really understand what just happened. So all of last year, I can honestly say that I, I went through a whole nine months, maybe more of falling asleep at 9.30 at night, every single night, not being able to physically stay up past 9.30 at night, which in the past four, three months has just changed with a whole other journey. I got all my energy back and sort of my body's ready to go. But we think of integration as sort of a thing maybe we do in the weeks after or the months after. For me, it's just, it's been almost a year Mm. of like my body having to catch up to releasing something that was taking up so much space inside. And so I think it's really important to give ourselves the time. I did a lot of writing. I meditated every single night on just kind of what it meant for me because I knew that releasing something was going to create space for something new. So just trying to to observe, let that space be empty for a little while, not push what the integration was because it felt like such a big thing. I'm someone who before, up till sort of my first MDMA experience, had thought that my childhood was totally fine. I was in a conservative religion, but like it taught me a lot of great things. And it wasn't until after that initial heart opening that I'd realized how traumatized I was. I just tried to be really easy with myself after this journey, the psilocybin journey. I did not work with a lot of plant medicine for a few months after that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, did you find that some of the childhood memories that you had repressed after that psilocybin journey with your mother, did the memories start to come kind of fast and furious? You started to remember very specific moments very clearly. Yeah, that's such a good question. I started to try to cultivate that. They didn't come in fast and furious. It was almost like they were peeking around the corner like, is it safe? What I started to do is I started to write down every little thing that I remembered about my childhood, even if it was the tiniest little thing. And what would happen is like a field of flowers, new little ones would pop up here and there. So I would write stuff down and then a new thing that I, n- I never remembered for would pop up. Um, sometimes it would come in my dreams. So I had to work at it. I had to work on getting those memories back. The more I wrote down, the more it would pop up. And that was pretty much my whole summer after that, just like really memory retrieval. So it was kind of like a cork popped. So I'm curious, because I have a theory that when you have gaps in memory, especially with childhood experiences, that it potentially is tied to either some trauma and you've repressed it in some way. Do you think that's the case? 100%. Absolutely. We always want to protect ourselves. Our bodies want to protect us. Our minds want to protect us. So if something is very traumatic, our bodies say, okay, I'm going to put this away. 
because we're not going to be able to function in daily life if we hold this. Mm. And that can be many things. That can be sort of smaller memories. It can be big things. We talk about sort of uppercase T trauma and lowercase T trauma. I think that that happened a lot to me. And even in my functioning life when I was young, when I was an early teenager, probably like right after I was baptized into that religion from 12 to about 17, my body would just shut down and be like, we're just going to sleep a lot. Mm. Because functioning in the way we're functioning is so far away from our path and it's so incongruous to who we are that we're going to have to protect you from it in a way. So I'm a hundred percent believer that if you have gaps in memory from early on, it was a protection mechanism. And I've done a lot of work. I did three ayahuasca ceremonies a couple of weeks ago. I did a lot of work meeting that part of me, welcoming her and letting her know that it's safe to kind of let go of some of those protections. And the integration with that is really like talking to her on a regular basis and letting her know every day, like we're safe. We're safe and we can function out in the open now and and we can let go of some of those protections. Well, sleeping is so healing. So it makes sense that you slept a lot, right? And continue to sleep until you did the more recent ayahuasca journeys. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And that's why we live in this society where go, go, go is so ingrained in us and rest is something we have to earn Mm -hmm. when in reality, especially when we're healing from things, Our bodies need time to catch up. Your body and your brain. People have no idea. I mean, I've really been listening to a lot of different podcasts and reading articles. Your brain, when you sleep, and the reason why they say like seven to eight hours is like kind of the sweet spot, the optimal amount of time that you need, is because when you're sleeping, your brain, I know it sounds very unscientific the way that I'm explaining it because I don't have the scientific language to explain it correctly, but your brain essentially washes Mm -hmm. itself and it cleans it. And so if you don't give your brain enough time when you're sleeping to do that process, that's when you start to have issues with your health, your memory, right? Cognitive functions. It's fascinating how the body is just so intuitive. It just knows what it needs to do. Absolutely. I mean, I try to let my body take the lead in general now. And I also think in these medicine journeys, there will often be points, whether it's ayahuasca or psilocybin, where you clock out for a moment. You don't really know what's going on. Maybe there's blanks. And I believe that that is also your your brain doing work and cleaning and doing some things, some healing that you don't necessarily need to be fully consciously there for. Right. I totally agree. So can you share your more recent ayahuasca experience? I know you went on one for like, was it three days? Yeah, I went on one for three days a a couple weeks ago. It was super pivotal for me. It closed out a dieta that I did with a master plant called Bobinsana. What's a dieta? So a dieta is a, well, traditionally you're on a very specific diet and you're just listening to the plant and allowing it to sort of come into your body and guide you and heal you in a lot of ways. This one specific plant was just showing up for me everywhere to the point where I went in meditation and asked her, how do you want me to sort of work with you? Because I can't go to the jungle with you. And so a couple weeks after that, a soft dieta came my way where I could do it at home in my life. Um, And so I worked with this plant for, it was an eight week container. So we would sort of clear out the diets, clear out like social media, anything that was coming in from the outside. 
And then we microdosed just the ayahuasca vine. So not the brew that is psychedelic, but just the vine, the actual vine that grows in the Amazon. Microdose that for four weeks. And then in between for 10 straight days would drink a tincture or a tea of the Bobinsana plant. Wow. But truly transformative in more ways than I can speak to here. Um, Did it have hallucinogenic properties? Give me a little more detail as to the difference between, you know, drinking the ayahuasca plant versus did you ingest the vine portion? Like how was that consumed? So if you do an ayahuasca ceremony, it is obviously very psychedelic, but the actual ayahuasca vine is not psychedelic. It's combined with a plant called chacruna, Mm -hmm. which gives you the visionary properties. What we were doing in this dieta was just microdosing drops of the ayahuasca vine. Mm -hmm. And so the vine is the healer. Mm -hmm. The vine is the plant spirit that heals, and it is with the plant spirit of chakruna that you can get the visionary elements. So in a traditional dieta in the jungle, you actually sit with the ayahuasca brew maybe three times a week. But I did not do that because I was in a soft diet. There was nothing psychedelic about this. It was transformational. And to me, such proof that you don't need psychedelics to have these experiences. How is it transformational? I mean, I, again, like I could do three hours just talking about this, but the things that came out of me in terms of creativity, there were things that I had been ruminating on and trying to create and trying to get out of me for eight years that came out in a week and a half. Wow. Like what? That I, that I put out into the world, communities based in healing and integration, just even my creative expression and my ability to physically connect with my own creativity. There were things that came up through my subconscious that I needed to heal that this plant brought up for me. I'm not going to go into specifics on those things, but some really, really crazy, amazing experiences in the middle of this dieta where I was just led to certain things that brought up, again, these things that needed to heal. So Bobinsana specifically is a plant that, again, she is known for her heart opening. She is a plant that grows by the river and has roots that are literally seven times as long as her height above the ground. So she's known for her flexibility, but also her strength. And these are the things that you get from the plant when you work with the plant. And so going back to my most recent ayahuasca ceremony, two weeks into this dieta, this ceremony came to me through a mentor of mine and a friend who lives down in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And there were ceremonies going on down there and she invited me to them. And I was like, this is clearly like directly from these plants because again, normally during a dieta, you would do multiple ayahuasca ceremonies, but I was not doing that. These were ceremonies meant for this, the end of this dieta. Mm -hmm. A week after my dieta closed was when the ceremonies were. So it was just it fell into place perfectly. Again, like I said, like I don't really choose a lot of my journeys anymore. They really come to me. My intention for the journeys was to dedicate each of the evenings, each of the three nights, to the three plants we worked with during this dieta. So we worked with the ayahuasca vine, we worked with bobinsana, and we also worked a lot with the tobacco plant spirit, so mapacho, which I've never worked with before. Um, but mapacho is like very, very protecting, very cleansing. And when you're doing a soft diet, so when you're not in the jungle, like sitting in your own little hut, people bringing you your food, 
you really got to protect yourself. I was still picking my son up from school. I was in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So I ended up working a lot with this tobacco spirit. And so my first ceremony was to give gratitude to the plant spirit of Mapacho. I'm at the point now where when I do an intention for my ceremonies, there's nothing not uncovered in that intention. I can give any intention and like the plant goes right to that intention, which is so cool and also really beautiful. So I gave gratitude to tobacco, which is a beautiful, I think, male spirit. Gave me a master class on energetic hygiene. So I'm a Reiki master and I do Ayurvedic acupressure for the community. And so I constantly have to kind of be clearing my energy and clearing my space. And tobacco basically told me, hey, you got to do it a little better and gave me all of the tools that I need to use on a daily basis for protection, for working with energy, for understanding energy. And that was great. It was a great first night. My second night was to give gratitude to the plant spirit of ayahuasca, divine, and to meet the parts of myself that were self-sabotaging some of the things that had come out of my dieta. So my dieta, all of this creativity came out. I was creating stuff. I was putting myself out there. I'm terrified of being seen. It was just one of my things that I need to heal. And so I wanted to meet the part of me that was kind of backsliding and saying, whoa, 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 we're not safe here. No way. And so I did. And she did not want to go quietly. (laughs) The second ceremony was certainly one of my toughest. And to the point where the ceremony was closed, it was over and I started purging. Wow. Right after, I had like a circle of people around me kind of holding space. It was very similar to what I had described about what came out of me during the psilocybin with my mother. Like I was purging this piece of me that was trying to protect me. And so that was beautiful. I also felt like my relationship with ayahuasca had completely changed. And I think it was because of the microdosing. We trusted each other more. We were more comfortable with each other. And a funny story is, you know, sometimes with ayahuasca ceremonies, you take one cup and you can go up for a second one. And I never would go up for a second one. In my past four ceremonies, every time they would call for a second cup, they would light a candle for the second cup and I would purge immediately. Mm -hmm. And I always took that to mean that I'm not meant to take it. My body doesn't want it. But in this ceremony, I realized it was clearing me for the second cup because that is where my deep work was. And so I took the second cup this time, and this is what happened. It was essentially like the time for me to kind of go deep and dig out this part of me. Um, And it was interesting that all of that happened after the ceremony was closed, because when the shaman closes the ceremony energetically, the plants, spirits are gone, the shamans are gone. And that's when this part of me said, whoa, we're not safe. Like we can't stand in our own energy and our own power. And that's when I started purging. I started screaming. Beaming. At one point, like I was purging so much that I was like, this is trying to take me out. Like I couldn't breathe. It was a lot, <laughs> but also beautiful because that's why I do the work. Like as much as I love having my daily practice and getting the downloads and having my daily meditations, I don't engage with plant medicine all that often. It's like every few months. Right. And it really is when I need to make these leaps to something I might not be able to get to myself. That was the second night. And the third night was giving my gratitude to Bobansana and continuing to understand from her how to move from a heart-centered place and not sort of thinking from the head, but moving from the heart. And it was a very beautiful ceremony. 
And there was a lot of dancing. She has expressed to me that a lot of my creativity and my heart-centeredness comes through dance. So I've been doing a lot more dancing lately. And then maybe I'll share this and you can decide whether or not you want to share it. Yeah, please, please. The very beginning of this ceremony was I was visited by a cosmic energy. And this cosmic energy came into my field and told me that over the next 20 years, people on earth would start moving from a more heart-centered place rather than a mental place. But in order to do that and in order to make the shifts that we need to make on earth, we don't have the capacity to move from a heart-centered place in our human bodies as they are now. It doesn't exist. That type of energy doesn't exist on earth, but it exists in other galaxies and other realms. And so that type of movement and that type of heart-centered emotional, I guess, processing would be downloaded to us from other cosmic energy. Maybe it's from through plants. A lot of the plants we work with are not from Earth. They're seeded from other galaxies. And so over the next 20 years, that's something that would be downloaded to humans to be able to work from that heart-centered capacity that there are certain people who will kind of get these downloads initially. It would take a couple years, Saturn transit, in order to evolve in our bodies, and then we can transmit that to other people. So that was really cool. <laughs> I think the next 20 years is a Pluto and Aquarius transit. It's massively revolutionary. It's technology-driven. Yeah. It's collective consciousness. Yes. So it makes a lot of sense. And so that was really interesting, and that came from Bobinsana, which is a galactic plant. Oh, my God, Kim. I mean, seriously, you, like, touched on such a nerve for me because I – Anything that is extraterrestrial about other galaxies, star seeds resonates so deeply with me. Like I really believe that, especially people who are drawn to be healers and light workers, really are not from this planet. And I know that's whoever's listening is probably gonna roll their eyes and they're gonna think that I'm, you know, just beyond woohoo. But like it resonates so deeply. When you said that. We're in the age of Aquarius. Whether or not people want to accept that, there is a major shift that's happening. There really is. Like, it is not a coincidence that we got hit with a pandemic in 2020 and that essentially just shut everything down and really forced people not only just to physically stay at home, but to really take stock emotionally and mentally about their life, what they were doing with their life, and do they want to continue on the same path that they had been on? Yeah. Yeah. And there were a lot of physical changes that went on with people. A lot of oh, yeah. brain changes. I don't necessarily think we need to know what any of that means, but I don't think it's a coincidence no. that right before this transit of collective change, people came out of the pandemic and were like, I'm not doing this anymore and quit their jobs. Mm-hmm. That's definitely something interesting to think about. So I guess what I would say in terms of that ceremony is my intention with this plant, which is a galactic plant, was to ask about heart opening and how to move myself from a place of heart opening. And the information that I was given was that collectively, we're all going to start moving from a place of heart-centeredness. And so the information that came through was kind of how it was going to happen, which I just think was so so cool to kind of have a ceremony like that, that kind of talks about collective change and then how to do it within myself. 
it actually makes me feel like there's hope for humanity. I mean, honestly, because I had lost a little bit of hope for just people in general. And maybe it's because I'm living in New York City, you just sometimes feel like it's just overwhelming. I just feel like people are not very grounded. They can't get centered because um, everyone is just so busy getting done what they need to get done and just being so overproductive and never really taking the time to step back and really figure out what it is that they want and how it is that they want to move forward and how it is that they want to potentially heal and open their hearts in some way. I mean, that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, I agree. And to be perfectly honest, like to me, the only way that really happens is through the natural world. When I was a kid, I used to connect with plants so much or like I used to call them people. Mm. My mom said that I would pick plants and flowers and bring them into my room and say like, they have to live with me because they're people and they have to have a room too. And then that kind of goes away with us. But like to be an adult and to realize how much all of the natural world around us and plants and trees are actual teachers. They give us the air that we breathe, but then we can also use them as medicine and they can show us is like the biggest revelation of my life by far, because that's the only way that change is going to be made, you know, by getting this information and where would we get it from? Of course, from these plants and these teachers and after world. I think it's hard for people to go outside of what they know and what they've always known. You're in nature and it's beautiful and it makes you feel a certain way, but you don't know it to be something that like is a cosmic energy, but you know, opening your mind to the fact that there's more than what you know can change your world. It's changed my life. And it just shows that we're all connected, not just human beings, right? But everything around you, the rocks, the trees, the dirt, the grass, I mean, everything, we're all connected. There's a part of me where I really wish that within these 20 years of the heart opening that's going to happen collectively, that people really start to understand And realize that we are all connected, that what you do reverberates out into the entire world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And science is starting to get in on that as well. Starting to understand via quantum physics and starting to understand just in general, like how the energy field is all connected. If I move in a certain way, Mm -hmm. you're going to feel that. Your energy is going to feel that. I think it's not necessary to have science all in on it, but it's helpful. Very helpful. (laughs) Because a lot of it is stuff that we can't see. We shouldn't have to be able to see. It exists and we can feel it. Right. I mean, we're all energy, right? So if you believe that we're all energy and know that we are, mm. that everything is frequency and energy, that you will feel it. It's like you know the gut instinct, right? You'll, you just know when something is right and you just know when something is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think, again, like a lot of times in these ceremonies, you can feel it so much more. There was a lot of energy movement happening in my last ceremony. And I just remember before a song came on, I had been like laying down most of the ceremony. And I like remember taking off a sweater I had on, standing up and kind of stretching out. And right after that came a song where this energy and the spirit just came through me and I was moving the energy and I was dancing that whole song. And like my body knew it. The energy was there before it happened. I don't even have to think about it. And so Again, like talking about the veil and the veil going away and getting really thin, like in those ceremonies, there is no veil. Like you live in the world of the plants and what you are is a lot more evident to you. And then you just go out after and you integrate it and you embody it because that is what you are. It always is what you are. What has it been like for you 
coming home after this most recent three-day ayahuasca ceremony? Yeah, I mean, I can honestly say I feel more myself than I ever have. I recognize myself. Mm. That's what I have been describing it as. After the diet and also these ceremonies, basically since the beginning of February, I recognize myself more than I ever have. I know that I'm coming into who I really am and what I'm meant to put out into the world. It feels like magic. There's nothing you have to do to become who you are. You just have to keep following the signs and doing what feels right and what lights you up. The thing about that is we stop ourselves from doing it because we overthink and we're like, well, I can't do that. And so I feel like I'm at a point now after these ceremonies and that diet that I'm fully able to surrender and let the path just kind of unfurl and know what I'm meant to do, which is highly in service of other people and their healing and integration journey. It's just going to happen the way it's meant to. So like, it's just about getting out of your own way. So beautiful. I mean, to be quite honest with you, even just doing this podcast for me, it'd been something that I've been thinking about for probably at least two years. Yeah. I just talk myself out of it every single time until just recently. But I still feel super vulnerable. I feel like I'm really putting myself out there. And it's not for fear of like criticism or anything like that. I don't know what it is. I'm still trying to figure out like why it's making me feel a certain way. Yeah, I think a lot of times our path is always lit up sort of by what our healing is. Whatever it is that we have to heal is our path forward. For me, it's like putting myself out there and letting people see me and see who I really am is like the hardest thing in the world because I spent a whole childhood hiding. But I know that creating community or including having to be seen is a lot of part of what I'm meant to do. And so I think that's kind of how you know you're on the right track also, right? Like it's easy, but also like it tweaks you a little bit because your healing has to happen while you do it. It's never ending. We never get to a place where we're like, well, I'm done. I'm healed. And now I can like do all this stuff. Like, no, you have to keep healing as you go. If you're not healing and it doesn't feel a little difficult, you might think sort of what the path you're on is about because we're all healing all the time. And it's just kind of the path there is where the beautiful stuff comes out. And what do they say? We're all walking each other home, right? Oh my God. Yes. That is so true. I used to think, because I'm a, I'm a big believer in divine timing and that everything really does work out in your favor. And so it's taken me a little bit of time to really embrace doing something that I know in my soul is part of my path, but also dealing with that level of fear, feeling super vulnerable, right? Like you said, there's that kind of feeling of like, it's making me very uncomfortable at times, that discomfort is so hard. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because like, that's what happened to me. I went through this diet and I was like, whoa, this is my path. Like this is the stuff that came out of me was like, this is it. And then I reverted. I backtracked. Mm. I stopped putting as much time into it because I knew the more I put into it, the more I would have to be seen. And, you know, a part of the integration and the work is like letting those parts of you that are meant to protect you so lovingly thanking them for protecting you. Like I had that backtrack moment and now I kind of feel like a little bit more on track in terms of like moving forward, but it's not a straight line, you know, but when you really use the plants as teachers and healers, it's not easy. Like for me, I I can't go back. There's no way for me. 
but it's different for everyone. I believe in reincarnation like you. And I'm kind of a believer that we have different segments of our lives where we have these experiences. And maybe like however many lives ago, I tried working with the plants for the first time and I was like, nope. And then maybe I tried again. And maybe now I'm kind of at the point where like I know how to work with them a little bit better. Like there's definitely been some karmic stuff that has ended. It's about cultivating the relationship with the plant just as much as any other human. Like for me, these plants are spirits that have been here way longer than we have. And you have to cultivate a relationship with them. You have to kind of get to know them and understand how they'll work with you. And that's what a lot of my earlier experiences were about. Well, this has been such a great conversation. I'm really just so grateful that you were able to do this and that you had time to do this. Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I had such a good time. Like I rarely get to kind of talk about and reflect on this stuff. It's all sort of swirling around in my head. So thank you. No, thank you. And just tell people where they can find you. Obviously you're a healer and you work specifically with plant medicine. Where can they find you? Yeah. So I have a website that came out of me in about a week and a half during this diet and it's called High House. It's H-A-I-H-O-U-S-E.com. And then we're also on Instagram, High House Heals. Yeah, that's where I am. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Let's figure out a date. I'm around. I would love that. I would love that. Thanks, man. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Your support means a lot to me. So please subscribe, download, and share with friends and family. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So let me know what resonates for you. Until next time. Take care. Eh.